0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at slash sermons. Good morning. If you would be turning to Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at an incident at the end of that chapter and then three incidents from Mark 5. These are all in order. As the scriptures present them, they're all familiar stories to us. We won't have to set the background and context for them too much uh, for us to get the lessons from them. But what we'll note is there's going to be a common theme in all of these of Jesus helping. The summary of his life that Peter gave when he first preached the gospel to the Gentiles was he went about doing good, healing those oppressed by the devil. That's uh, Acts 10.38. And we're going to see the exact kind of things he did that caused uh, Peter to summarize his life in that way. That Jesus, over and over, in a variety of situations, that Jesus gives help. Now, I said we'll study from Mark 4 and 5. We want to turn briefly uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we want to read there the famous words of uh, Pete Seeger and the birds. That there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, still the most popular song on the pop charts, quoting Scripture, to everything there's a time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 there's an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything. Everything comes in its due time. And if I might quote one more famous prophet of the people, the least favorite of mine of the Beatles, Ringo, from one of the least favorites of of the Beatles albums of mine, the Yellow Submarine album, Ringo said, I get by with a little help from my friends. There's a time for that. There's a time to be the helper. And there's a time that you need help. And over and over what we find in Mark 4 and 5, as we go there now, is we find people in need of help. People in need of help. And Jesus is there each time to give it. We start in Mark Uh, 5 excuse me mark 4 35 mark 4 and 35 where the helpless folks are his apostles at this stage called his disciples but we'll know them later as they get kind of get promoted (laughs) from followers to ambassadors from disciples to apostles but these are dear friends of jesus they're in a boat returning with him after a day of teaching the multitudes they are uh 12 men and jesus in a little boat now by standards of the time in the fishing vessels it probably actually was a medium-sized boat but from our perspective you ever seen ancient boats man they look small and so we got the men here in a little boat and they're especially it's a little boat in comparison to the big storm and they're on this trip with jesus and so mark uh, four thirty-five, and on that day when even had come. He said to them, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him, and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? This, of course, from the King James, uh, the line to one of my most favorite hymns uh, as, a, as a boy, uh, Master of the Tempest is Raging. I, I love the imagery of that song and the drama of that song. And that was, a, that was not a boring song. Uh, you can just picture the waves and the crashing. And sometimes as a young boy, maybe I thought church was more boring than it was. Or maybe I properly assessed it. Uh, but uh, I, this, this was not a boring thing master the tempest is raging the billows are tossing high the sky is our shadow with darkness no shelter peace our peace is nigh carest thee not that we perish how can thy lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a wave in the angry deep yes it's not often we got to talk about things uh, madly and or shadowing and casting things about we normally sit still and be quiet and pay attention. Make it more exciting. Okay, we'll try. How about this song? But this this dramatic song about these men in a boat, and we have to ask: When are we in a boat big enough to weather the storms of life? When, but it does not seem we're in a little bitty boat too, and we're overwhelmed. And even though we have the promise, "I am with you; I will not forsake you," how often do we think? Well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe we should wake him up. Maybe we should let him know that this is going on. We should let him know that the storm sirens have gone off in life. And we should, we should alert him. Does he really care? Even, and we feel that way even when, like these apostles, we're on his journey and we're in his boat and he's promised to be right there. We still feel overwhelmed and helpless. So we got disciples in a little boat in a big storm. And what do they need? All right. Let's fast forward a little bit. Let's go to chapter five and verse one. They get to the other side. We'll come back in a minute and tell how we, how they got there. But they get to the other side of the sea. Mark five one, into the country of the Gerasenes, and there they're going to find a fellow who is simply no longer in control of his life. He has been literally demon possessed. If ever a fellow got to say the devil made me do it, he has a legion of demons. This guy has lost control. I don't know what his backstory is, but I doubt this was his ambition of life to end up here. Naked uh, and causing terror along the road and living in the tombs. I realize, again, as a boy, most of us have our brief Huck Finn fantasies where we're going to put a few things in a rag, put them on a stick over our back, and we're going to go live in the wilds for a while. This guy did it. It's not a pretty sight. You don't want to do that. Leave that to fantasy land. Leave that to fiction. But when they get out of the boat, immediately a man comes up from the tombs. Verse 2. He had an unclean spirit. He met him. He'd been dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore. Even with a chain. Because they'd often, he'd often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains he had torn apart. And the shackles broke to pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly night and day. Among the tombs and in the mountains. He was crying out and gashing himself with stones. Here's a guy who has lost control of himself. And I just think about how frightening he must be to the people who've got to go from town down to the, to the docks where the boat comes in. They've got to go down there to the beach. Or just think about the, the inhuman wailing when it says this guy was crying out and cutting himself with rocks. Just imagine, I mean, sometimes we, we hear the coyotes at night, right? And when people, have, they're not used to that, what do they think? They get a little unnerved. Or, or we hear some other kind of animal out there crying at night. And we go, what was that? Well, imagine this guy's crying at night. and he, is, he has lost control. He is uncontrollable. And he has made a total mess of his life. He is a terror to others. And there is nothing that he is able to do. And so this guy, he needs some help. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's skip forward. Jesus back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus back in Capernaum. And he is met there as the boat gets back. Everybody knew where Jesus was, right? He's in the boat and they know where the boat's landing, they know where he's at. When he gets back, they're waiting for him there. And great crowds are waiting for him there. And among that great crowd, now isn't a crazy and uncontrollable man, is isn't the outcast, but one of the main leaders of the community, a leading citizen, a religious leader. But he was there at the docks with everybody else because his daughter was gravely ill. And if there's ever a time for us to feel helpless in life, sometimes even more than we can't control our own selves, is when we're wanting something for somebody who's near and dear to us, a child or a parent or a sibling or somebody, but somebody near and dear to us is sick, and what makes us feel more helpless than but sitting at the bedside and so jesus crossed over the boat again verse 21 to the other side and a great multitude gathered about him and he stayed by the seashore and one of the synagogue officials whose name was Jairus or Jairus, take your pick Jairus will be that'll be his name today Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly saying my little daughter is at the point of death Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. Of all the people in the world who've ever had to say, my little daughter is sick to the point of death, he had the best hope of anybody coming to help and actually effectively uh, doing something. And Jesus cares, as we as we know. And so while he was speaking, though, they came, uh, somebody from his house, and they reported to him because he Been gone a while going there to meet Jesus. They said, Verse 35 Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? So Jesus was headed there and she was sick. And as they were going, and as they were, uh, I think about the crowd surrounding them, and we know that the trip was slow, going to the man's house, how his frustration and helplessness must have increased, and the worst news possible got there. That in fact, She had died. Now, one of the reasons for the delay in that mass of crowds that they were pushing through in the streets from the seaside to this man's house was that a woman came up. She was very sick herself, and she was desperate, and she was hoping that Jesus would be the one who would heal her. And she had come up and grabbed onto Jesus' clothes as he went by. So we're now in verse 24. And as he went off with him, the synagogue official, of whom the daughter will soon pass, a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years came. She'd endured much at the hands of the physicians. And it's been all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had gotten worse. And that's a terrible situation that we often still find ourselves in today, where going to the physicians, they're not able to help. They're terribly expensive, and sometimes uh, the treatments they give you make you suffer. Seems like more than the thing you had. Now, sometimes that's just a situation for us to bear up under and pray. Uh, it's also an opening for every kind of charlatan who has an alternative cure to say, "Hey, come and buy my thing instead of buying their thing." But people will go for that because they're in this exact same situation still today, enduring much at the hands of the physicians spending a lot of money and not getting any better. So when Jesus, hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. And then we had a discussion as Jesus asked, well, who touched me? And the disciples was like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. You're going down a street that we can't even walk down. And he said, no, no, no. Something happened here. Something of power happened here. I want to know, somebody come and tell me what it was. Of course, we know he knew, but it caused the woman to come and Give a confession so that these things became widely known. What was done? But again, as Jesus is helping one, then we can just see that poor synagogue official almost beside himself going, My girl's dying, my girl is dying. Come on, let's go. And then the man comes up and said, oh, Sorry, sir, she's dead. All right, so here in chapter, end of chapter four, beginning of chapter five, four stories you know. A common theme so far in all of them is what the helplessness of men now in each case, help was sought in Jesus, carelessly not that we perish or the the demon possessed man um, uh, who comes up and uh, Jesus Jesus uh, helps him, uh, the plea of the Father, the action of the sick woman. what we find in all these occasions was help was for those. Who sought it? Now, the need in all these cases is self evident. Uh, we don't have to explain much that there was a real need. Uh, we only explain about the need to set the scene, show some of the drama of the things involved. Uh, and so it is in our life often that the need is obvious. We don't need uh, much explanation of it. Somebody might be able to give a description to somebody else who doesn't know, like in these case- occasions. But most of the time, we know, well, really, we could use help. But too often, our pride gets in the way of asking. And so uh, these things that would crush us, these things that would bury us, uh, these things would overwhelm us, uh, these things just often continue because no help is sought. No one asks for help. That's true sometimes in our physical circumstances. That's often true in our moral and spiritual ones as well. But we can often live in denial of the things that we need. And sometimes somebody else's recognition causes us to get the help we need. Uh, sometimes even when other people recognize uh, the help uh, that's needed, uh, people refuse it. And and so uh, the idea in that in all things, at all times, in all ways, we can be self-sufficient this really is just the way that ends in hopelessness. Uh, how can you help people who don't admit they need help? How can you uh, help people who say that there isn't a problem right what What is the first step in every twelve step program? right The first step is admitting the problem, but people won't admit the problem, and so uh, you don't they don 't think they need it or they deny they need it. they resist the help revelation three seventeen The church there said, I am rich, I become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And so Jesus says, do you not know, instead, uh, that you are uh, wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked? You you really are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and you don't even know it. Your your state of assessment is... Spiritually, is so bad, you do not know how poor off you are. Um, I remember one time in the history of our family, there were some people, uh, elderly, elderly folks in the family, and dementia was hitting both, the, it was a couple. Uh, dementia was hitting them pretty hard, and uh, people recognized, you know, the family recognized that uh, they didn't really uh, fully keep up with everything anymore. But like so many folks who have some dementia they hit it pretty well. Uh, they, they, they Instead of calling people's names, they'd call them honey and sweetie. Uh, uh, call them, you know, uh, say my son, well, when it might have been a son, uh, might have been a grandson, might have been a great-grandson, and, and say things like that. And uh, whenever anybody would come to visit them, and uh, they, they, you know, they, hey, we're coming to see you, uh, they could get things cleaned up pretty well. But one time, an emergency, an emergency visit, to inform these folks of some bad news, just terrible bad news that you don't wanna share over phone. That kind of news had to be shared with these folks. And so some people in the family showed up to tell them this bad news face-to-face, and they found them in such a state is, is that they didn't know who was there. They didn't know who they were telling them about in the situation that they needed to come and tell them face-to-face. They found out that you know the house was uh, was filthy, Uh, that that it was from just from time to time they could get it clean enough to be presentable for an afternoon for a visit but they just found out that this situation is terrible but in their pride and they were great folks in so many ways but but they were proud of their self-sufficiency they would never ask anybody for help not a neighbor not uh, not a relative not a son not a daughter just nobody and they got themselves in a terrible state and it wasn't until there was a necessary but surprise visit that found out the state and how many things are like that that there's something that happens where we find out just how bad off we are or somebody else is i never knew it was that bad and maybe we we talk to them about other things or we visit with people uh, from time to time but in a limited way or we only see them in one context we don't see them uh, in other things and there's one thing a facade that they're able to keep going Well, sometimes that's us who keeps the facade going for a time. And sometimes it's others, but it's never to anybody's benefit. It's never to anybody's benefit. Jesus said this, John 9, 39. He said, for judgment, I've come to the world. He's talking about spiritual things here. That those who do not see may see. And that those who see may be blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him and heard these things said to him, we're not blind too, are we? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. They claim we see, we know, we can direct ourselves. We are doing just fine without the help of you, who ended up being God's own Messiah, sent so to call them back to God. They didn't even think they needed to come back to God, much less from this fellow whose ways they didn't like. So, they did not acknowledge their need. And if we or others don't acknowledge our need, if we don't see how Jesus can help, we get into such ridiculous situations as these Jews do who refuse the help of Jesus. And so here we find Jesus would have healed. Jesus would have helped. And actually, when it comes to healing, having mentioned that, the scriptures speak over 140 times in some form of heal, healed, healing. Heals, of that being the work of God and the work of Jesus. That is Jesus' work. That is his mandate. That, that's his area. But we go, I, I'm fine. I don't need it. So we have all these these helpless folks. In the disciples in the boat, the demon-possessed man, the, the sick and the dying, and those in grief, we find one source of help. Oh, throughout, we find Jesus's help. When it came to the storm, we go back to Matthew 4, 38. He himself asleep on the cushion. They awoke and said, Master, you care not that we perish? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the the sea and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you timid? How is it you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the seas obey him. In that uh, hymn we sang a few minutes ago, led by Ben, I Love Thee So, the second verse. When stormy clouds of doubt and sin were raging, I was tossed upon the open sea of life. You whispered peace, and every wave obeyed you. You gave me power to conquer every strife. Here's the power of Jesus. You know, they were scared of the storm. But they got more scared of him. The storm is scary, but the storm we know. We've been in storms, right? We know the power of the storm. Imagine the power of one who can just speak and the storm is over. This is the power of him who helps us. He's the one who gives us our calm. And sometimes as we come into that calm, it can be frightening because we're used to storms. But we need to submit to him. Who gives real calm. On that same theme. Of frightening amounts of power. That crazy demon possessed guy. That ran up to Jesus. It started with the demons coming in asking for mercy. What do we have to do with you? There's that man ran from a distance. He bowed down it says. Mark 5 and 6. He bowed down and cried out with a loud voice. What have we to do with you? Jesus son of the most high God. I implore you by God. Do not torment me. But. It turns out being merciful to demons would not be merciful to the people elsewise involved. And so Jesus said, come out from the man. And they said, well, can we go somewhere else? And he said, now pigs are over there. Take the pigs. Pigs when he, They went to them. They ran off the cliff. But then the people who saw all that, verse 14, went away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And people came to see what had happened. Who's this guy who can do that? Are, are there really a big part of pigs floating in the bay now? Yeah, there were. What about this demon-possessed man who's been tormenting everybody out in that part of the countryside? What about that? They came out to sea. And when they came to Jesus and observed the man who was demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, they became frightened. And so, when Jesus helped the apostles, they go from the struggle and strife and sweat and uh, uh, you know fear of the storm and whatever they were doing, bailing as fast as possible and holding down sails to absolute calm, and it's frightening. Well, in this case, this guy who is uncontrollably mad and tormenting everybody, he is so normal, he is so placid, he is so serene. It's unnerving to the people who knew him before. That's the change that Jesus wrought in his life. And that's the change that Jesus makes in people's lives still. And sometimes people are like, you're not yourself anymore. This is kind of weird. This is odd. Why are you like this? Oh, Jesus. I, Jesus taught me the way. I, I now have been taught by, by uh, and shepherded by the Messiah. Uh, the, the Lamb of God is now my shepherd. And it's interesting, these people had kind of gotten used to the demons. But now, when this man is cured, that unnerves them. That's the change that Jesus made. Restoring this man to his right mind and to all the good things that went with it. Well, Then back on the other side. There's that woman he healed along the way. She touched him. She said, if I touch his garments, I shall get well. We're in verse 29 now, Mark 5. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So she could feel the change. And Jesus, perceiving the power that had gone out from him, he said, who touched me? And then they have the conversation. The woman comes forward eventually. And verse 33, it says she fell down and she told the whole truth. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So he healed her. And he showed the power over all physical issues. Again, healing is the province of God. We think about the king. I think his name was Asa the Old Testament. The one who had been faithful till he got sick. And then he sought the physicians instead of praying to God. And that was counted as unfaithfulness. And so we've had so much affliction and so many uh, with us. And uh, those that we know, uh, has our primary response been medicinal? Or has it also uh, been with it prayer and faith? And so here's Jesus' help and calming and restoring and healing. And then we get to the little dead girl. I think about 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be abolished is death. So we'll take that last today. The last enemy is death. Here in Mark, if we end Mark five, while they were speaking to that woman, came the men from the synagogue officials' house and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble Jesus? Anymore, yeah, we we note that uh, the death doesn't trouble Jesus. He's not troubled before. He's not troubled after. We're so troubled by death, but he knows so much better uh, both sides of death that he's not near as troubled as we are. And hearing what was said, he said, "Don't be afraid. Only believe." Verse thirty-seven. And so he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. And they came to the house of the synagogue official. There was commotion there as often. Uh, might accompany an untimely death, people loudly weeping and wailing. Verse 39, he entered and said, what is this commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they began laughing at him, but he put them out. There are some people in your life, you want calm, you want good, do what? Put them out, just put them out. He put them out. And then he took the child's father and mother and his own companions. He entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talithakum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And they were completely astounded. I guess that's an improvement that we don't have fear this time, maybe. I don't know. But what do we have? What do we have when Jesus helps? Calm, restoration, healing, and eventually, resurrection. What should be our response? Well, we should fear God. That should drive us to the kind of fear that keeps the commandments, not the kind of fear of dread terror, but the kind that respects him and his commandments, but fear of God. Uh, That man who was healed, uh, the the demon-possessed man restored to his right mind, he went around telling everybody in the whole region about Jesus. The woman who was healed uh, of hers, uh, she went on her way made well by faith. And this girl returns to life, and they astound people with the with the action of Jesus. And so in this section, and this is a summary I'll read cuz I couldn't say any better or more concisely. In this section, we see the divine power of Jesus by showing that he could control by a word the winds and the waves of the sea, could direct and compel movements of demons, could by his touch remove incurable diseases. And could instantly raise the dead. It proves with sufficiency his power to save to the uttermost. All who come to him. By proving that all the dangers to which we are exposed. Whether from forces of the physical world. Or the malice of evil spirits. Or the power of disease. Or the hand of death. May be averted at his command. In behalf of all who put themselves under his protection. And so we find in every area and aspect of life, those under the protection of Jesus are greatly and fully helped. This is in life the effectual help that we need. So, as it says in Hebrews 7 and 25, hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. He can save forevermore. Those who draw near to God through him. And there is no circumstance in which he cannot do that. In which he cannot help. But that will conclude this morning. The help of Jesus. The help that all those who have confessed their faith in him have fled. The help that is our hope. The help that is uh, the thing we base our faith on. Who Jesus is. Or what Jesus has done. And what he's promised and we trust that he will do. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.